and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, a podcast in English exclusively dedicated to the Commonwealth Libertadores, the greatest competition in South American club football. So why on earth is there an edition of this podcast right now, I hear you say, with myself, David Windsor, and Mr. Oliver James Wilson, because... Ollie, the, the Libertadores was wrapped up in the group stages. The last 16 isn't until mid-July, so shouldn't we be off in the sunshine playing golf, enjoying a post-pandemic world? Well, no, because there are a decent cluster of players playing in the last 16 of the Libertadores that are, of course, representing their sides in the Copa America 2021, which is going to be played in Brazil. So myself and Ollie had a, a little chat about those players involved, and we talked about why there's no... Honey in the Brazilian squad. We talked about potential players that could make an impact. Will we see more of Gabby goal? Is this a great opportunity for the likes of Montiel or Matias Vigna for their respective nations to to um, to, to produce something? And Oli, I think uh, we, we kind of opened a few little windows there that will be interesting, I think, for for ourselves and our listeners to, to keep an eye on during the Copper America this summer. If the Copper America was an old jumper, there's a few threads just hanging off the end of the sleeve and we've just pulled at a few... And it's going to be interesting to see how they unravel and perhaps really break down the tournament later on, looking at how we've pulled at these threads. Mm, very, very nice. I tell you what, the older Ollie Wilson gets, the more his metaphors and analogies just become yeah beautiful and wise and, and very, very nice indeed. Yeah, Ollie, we'll, we'll check back at some point in the Copa America, maybe after the group stages to see how our, our, uh, our and I'm going to call them our, our Libertadores players uh, <laughs> got on in the competition. Um, listen, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the pod. La Bombardera on a Libertadores night. There are few, if any, more impressive sights and sounds in South American club football. Three against two. Guerrero, can he do it again late on? He finishes. Bang! Apina takes it down, takes the strike on! Well, I'll just give a little little overview, Ollie, before we actually get stuck into the nitty-gritty and the players of the competition. So, for those who haven't been paying attention, and you'd be forgiven for, for, for not paying attention because it's been a bit of a whirlwind, it was supposed to be held in Colombia and Argentina initially, right, Ollie? And even if you look at a map, geographically, that made almost zero sense. Colombia, huge social unrest. Um, combined with COVID, they couldn't host it. Argentina, you know, um, huge waves of COVID, they couldn't host it. So Brazil and Mr. Bolsonaro stepped up, put the hand up and said, look, we'll take it on. I've I've heard a lot of criticism. So the, so the Copa America 2021 is going to be played in Brazil. And I've heard a lot of there was a lot of instant criticism of this, Ollie, about how could you play it in Brazil? The COVID rates are so huge, blah, blah, blah. But I did just want to make the point that there are no... There's no solutions in this scenario, right? There's only trade-offs. Like, there's no utopian land where it could suddenly be played at in front of full stadiums and everything be okay. I know someone, you know, people are saying, oh, what about the Southern America states and stuff like that? But you're still moving off the continent. It's a South American football competition. It should be played in South America. It was always going to be difficult. It wasn't a case of who, you know, why should Brazil get it? It was more of a case, as, as far as I can see, they're the only ones that put their hand up and said, we'll host a tournament on 10 days notice or whatever it was. So 
Brazil are hosting the competition. It's going to be played in Rio and three other states. Um, the finals at the Maracanã on the 10th of July. And in terms of how the, the Libertadores ties in, well, the fact that the, the first legs of the last 16 clashes will actually be played on the 13th, 14th and 15th of July. So in theory, just a, just a few days after the final. Um, so that's where we stand, Ollie. I mean, that's, hopefully that's a, that's a half-decent overview of the Copa America. It's, um, there were one or two question marks, mate. Was it going to happen? But uh, it is going to happen. And uh, yeah, there's, there's a fair few Libertadores players involved as well. I think just quickly on the on Brazil hosting it, it's important to say that when you look at other nations around South America, Brazil has hosted an Olympics and a World Cup recently, and they have stadiums. We've got four or five stadiums being used currently at this moment in the competition. But there are a number of stadiums that aren't being used that if there are pandemic-style problems, you can move games to those other stadiums potentially to ensure that the competition doesn't cave in on itself. If you had it, for instance, in Argentina and, and Buenos Aires is struggling at the moment with COVID mm. cases, most of the gra- grounds are based in Buenos Aires. And then you've got a few up in up in the north in, in Santa Fe and places like that. But it would be difficult then to remove Buenos Aires completely from the equation as a host, whereas you could, in theory, take the Maracanã and, and the heart of Rio out as a host and still use a lot of the, the grounds elsewhere dotted, you know, in Porto Alegre, for instance, places like that. And... Um, and so it's just a logical place to put the competition to keep it in South America, uh, rightly or wrongly. If the in how people, I think, feel just in general about the global pandemic, whether it's taking place or not, but also with the Euros going on and being still a cross-continent competition, I think that's actually probably put a lot of pressure on Comibol to ensure that they get this competition played this year as well, because they like the Euros yeah. have been delayed for twelve months and it's. Everybody wants to keep up with the Joneses a bit, you know? Yeah, and also I do think there's a there's a sense, Ollie, that, you know, it's, everything's so nuanced. It's not as simple as, oh, there's cases, so don't don't play the tournament. You know, you can make that case, and certainly there's a, there's a lot of arguments for that. But you can also look at it, this tournament, it will bring, uh, you know, it'll bring, it'll bring money to, to a lot of people, and that money does trickle down, so it's not just the nations that, that, that get paid for being involved, but, you know, everyone involved with the planning, the journalists, the, the logistics, the stadiums, the, the, you know, so there is a trickle down of money, and that money is important, that's people's lives, so, mm. look, I'm not going to judge whether it should have happened, whether it should happen in Brazil, but I'm just saying that it's a, it's a super complex issue, and when I kind of went on Twitter immediately afterwards and, and saw everyone saying, oh, there's no way it should be played in Brazil. I don't know. I think it's um it's more nuanced than that, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, yeah, we won't we won't drift off into the, the, we won't get into <laughs> the, the political politics. side of that. No, no, no. no. no we, we, we don't do that on Wilson and Windsor's um, Libertadores podcast. One other thing before we dive into the players, Ollie. I know we chatted about this off pod. I just love the fact that Argentina are basing themselves, or they certainly were when I read the story a few days ago. They were planning on basing themselves at Ezia Airport in Buenos Aires and they're going to fly into Brazil and fly back for, for every game, which, you know, it's not, it's, it's just quite a few hours flight. So to sort of come in and out of the country by that is a, it's certainly, it's a, it's an interesting choice when would have made logistically would have made a lot more sense to be based in Rio, but that's, that's one for that the That feels like team. a protest. Like that feels like <laughs> a toys out the pram. We're not coming and staying in your country because we don't feel it's safe enough to stay there. So yeah. we will stay in Argentina where we feel safe albeit in the Hilton next to the airport or whatever. So Sure. Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> I, mean, it's a bit of a, I, I know players don't get much sympathy, Ollie, but I do sometimes, 
you know, that's a slog, that. And this isn't just... when they, Every time they're flying and out, there'll be protocols, there'll be testing, there'll be masks and face visors and this and that and, uh, you know, questionnaires. And so it's not... It, look, it's, it's what the whole world's had to deal with. I'm not saying that I feel sorry for, for millionaire footballers, but I do, I do sometimes think, look, they are they are just pawns in the game, aren't they? Mm. And they're just being told they have to do this or that. So so there's that. Um, all right, mate, the, the, the Copper America... Um, well, it's going to happen. It's in two groups, the South Zone and the North Zone. And of course, in this podcast, we're going to talk about the Libertadores players playing in the last 16 of the the Commonwealth Libertadores that are also competing in the um, in the Copa America. Uh, Ollie, one thing is, and I'm sure you found this as well, when I was just going through the squad lists and kind of doing that cross-pollination of players involved in with their national sides in the Copa America and in playing for a side involved in the in the last 16 of the Libertadores. I mean, t- well, two things jumped off the page at me. Mate, Boca, where are all the Boca players? You know, like in another era, it would be littered with Boca players. There's <laughs> just so few of them. Is there one or two? We'll come to that a little bit later, but there's really so few of them. And then also you just realise that when you look at the Argentine squad, the Brazil squad, the Colombian squad, you just realise... Those squads really, they're, they're European squads, aren't they? That's, that's You know, there's the so thing. few players based on the continent. Yeah. You, when we, we had the idea for doing this because we wanted to kind of be a part of the Copa America. We wanted to keep it Libertadores, Sudamericana-centric. And then you look at the big boys and it's like, ah, oh, there's probably not going to be any major headline makers. I mean, the sad thing is the, the guy who's perhaps going to make the biggest impact for either of the favourites in this tournament it's probably Gabby goal if he gets a chance to come on. And that's a huge if, if he even gets the opportunity mm. to play. Because there's a there's a healthy stack of forwards, shall we say, in the Brazil squad. But that's kind there of about is. it. And you've had a bee in your bonnet about <laughs> about the pods over the absence of somebody <laughs> from that Brazil squad. I, I have it. Do, do you want to start with Brazil then, Ollie? We might as well. I think it's I think it's the best. Okay, place so start. let's start. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, okay. So let's start in Group B, which is the kind of north zone, if you like, countries that are more or less situated in the the north of the continent. Brazil. Um, yeah. So the 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 players that are involved in the Commonwealth Libertadores and in the Copa America Brazilian squad are Weverton of Palmeiras, Everton Hibero, and Gabriel Gabigol Barbosa. Correct me at any point, Ollie, when I read these out, if if I'm wrong or if I've missed one or, or anything no, no, like that. No, no, you're all good. Um, and yeah, I guess, you know, the biggest name is by his absence. There's no, there's no Honey. He's not there. And I was trying to get in the mentality of Honey. Mate, he must be so frustrated. He's had an incredible 12 months. He had a, a, a vital role in Palmeiras, of course, going on to to win the win the Libertadores. He started this year in the group stages in fabulous form. He looks to be a player bang in his prime. And he's playing in front of, you know, crowds. Well, sorry, he's not playing in front of crowds. He's playing in, <laughs> on, you know, across the continent, in this continent competition. And yet he can't find himself in the Brazil squad, Oli. What's he got to do? He must be sat home thinking, what was the, you know, what more could I have done to get in that squad? Would you have been this upset if the tournament had been last year and Bruno Iniki was absent from the competition after the 12 months in 2019 that he put in, because he's only had mm. two caps for Brazil. Mm. And when you're looking at quality Brazilian players in a, a very exciting position where there's a lot of competition in that Brazil side, obviously from players based in Europe, um, would you have kicked up a similar sort of fuss? No, and here's why. Because Bruno Henrique was awesome in that Flamengo run to the final 
and for them to win it. But for me, what's been most impressive about Honey is his ability to to be so influential in Palmeiras winning the title and then to, I'm not going to say take it up a gear, although he has in terms of statistics and goal scoring, but to at least maintain that level, if not look a bit of an almost different player, like even progress further um, as, as a more of a goal scorer. So I think for me, just seeing him play in, you know, um, April and May in the group stages, I really did think, wow, that is a player who's, that momentum has brought him forward so far. So unless we're missing something, I mean, it's just a bizarre, um, it's bizarre that he's not part of the squad. Uh, but what can you say? They've, they've got a good squad and yeah. Never I mean, never been capped, so. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. 26 years what, old okay, as well. So we- like, you're in your- yeah, yeah. So, I mean, right in his right in his prime. So Weberton, the Palmeiras goalkeeper, is going to be going to be a sub for Brazil. It would be a surprise if he saw any minutes in the competition. Um, Everton, Hibero, very much the same. I don't expect to see too much of him in the, the Copa America, but maybe he'll come off the bench. Now, Gabby Goal's an interesting one, Ollie. He started against Ecuador in a recent World Cup qualifier, didn't score, and then Bobby Firmino started their next World Cup qualifier. So certainly, certainly Gabby Goal's kind of on the fringes. Um, and, and you said it right at, the, right at the top of the pod. If there's a player, when you look down the list of all these sides, if there's a player who, who could do something on this stage for a side that could go on and win it, maybe it is Gabby Goal. Maybe, but... <laughs> do you do you think? I mean, you look at the forwards elsewhere in this Brazil side that Tite is going to look to Gabi goal instead of Neymar, Firmino, Gabriel Jesus, Everton, of course, former Grêmio player playing mm. at Benfica now. None of them are an out-and-out centre forward, which is why he's got a chance. And I think that's the only that's way. It. If they realise that they need to play with a true number nine goal scorer then Gabby goal gets more opportunities but I do think they would still go with Gabriel Jesus in the middle of a front three or as the lone centre forward or something like that ahead of uh, of Gabby Barbosa aside from that though that's probably the only I, I mean Richarlison or, or Gabby goal personally I'd probably take Gabby goal which I know is maybe that's a bit of South American bias but I think because he's a different player. That's it, isn't it? I mean, Neymar and Everton, obviously, you know, going to play slightly more wide. And Bobby Firmino and Gabriel Jesus, yeah, they're probably ahead of him. But as you say, they're totally not... Yeah, they're totally different players. And Firmino's going to offer off a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. And and Gabriel Jesus... Sure. And Gabriel Jesus as well, really. He doesn't want to be... He doesn't want to be just in the confines of the the 18-yard box. So I guess that's the... You know, that's the from a Libertadores perspective, that's the the thing we can cling on to that if Brazil are in a quarter final and there's twenty minutes left to play, yes, you could bring on Bobby Firmino for Gab Gabriel Jesus, but what's the point if what you're doing's not already working? So that's where Gabigol might come into play. And Ollie, you know, he's um you know, he's 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 Flamengo's main man and you know, something like that might might come into play. You know, the adoration he'll have from the fans, I mean. Uh, mm-hmm. albeit not not in the ground, but in and around the place. And the journalists will, I'm sure, they'll be leading questions towards Gabby Gold, those, those of whom that are based in Rio. So, yeah, we'll um, we'll see how that progresses. But overall, it's, it's kind of weird, isn't it, watching Brazil? It will be weird watching Brazil in the, the competition and not really seeing a Libertadores presence or, or hoping that a Libertadores presence comes comes and makes things happen. Yeah, they've they've got their second game against Peru in the group in Rio. Their first game, Brazil's in Brasilia. I just... You know, you talk about being comfortable and how that's not going to be the case probably for the Argentinian national team if they're doing this flying in and out 
business from Etsia Airport for for Brazil having it in their back garden and then obviously are going to end up playing at least a few games in Rio as they go through the tournament. It's going to be very nice for a player like Gabigol who doesn't have to uproot himself at all this summer. He can just mm-hmm. kick back, relax, probably yeah. stay at his own place, you know, get on the team yeah. flight across to Brasilia and then job's done. And and again, that's yeah. that proves pivotal in a Brazil squad that's been so disrupted coming into this by the thoughts and the, the voices of the European players who haven't wanted to be involved in this squad. I actually was talking mm. on... Um, when I was promoting the podcast on TalkSport, uh, <laughs> I um, I said this could actually get really interesting with the Brazil squad because what if these European players decide they don't want to be... They're happy to do the World Cup qualifiers, but they don't want to do a full tournament down in South America for health reasons or whatever. And then would we see some of these bigger nations and, and the, in particular the Brazil squad having to like scramble for Libertadores players who haven't had opportunities in the past. Like Ronnie, you know, you could see like a best of Brazil Libertadores 11 starting the field for the Copa America 2021, which was like a a foolish dream to hold on to, but one that had a a brief moment of potential to come to fruition, I thought. And and unfortunately, it's not the case. (laughs) But yeah, it would be be very nice for Gabby Gold to be able to sit back, relax, sit on the subs bench, watch some good football. And uh, it's difficult to not see Brazil as favourites because it's in their back garden as well. So it could be a very, very good summer indeed yeah. for them. And they always have an awesome, um, you know, what is it? Five times they've hosted it, five times. They've won it every time they've hosted or something very similar to that. So, yeah, um, when we even without fans. When yeah. we do a look at the competition later on, which I'm sure we'll do at some point in the next month, mm. we should put together our own individual Libertadores starting 11s for Brazil and Argentina. Ooh, nice. That's nice, that'd nice. be a little fact finder to do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. Um, yeah. So there's five teams in each of the two groups, and and the top four rather unusually maybe <laughs> qualify. So it's kind of like, I mean, you've really got to play quite badly to to not get through the group. So I guess from that perspective, Ollie, you know, Brazil should win their first couple of games, and then. And then maybe there'll be a chance to rest and rotate and that could also bring the likes of Gabby Gol and Everton Hibera and, and stuff into play. So we'll see with that one. Um, while we're on Group B then, let's talk about Colombia because they also don't have much representation. Ollie, for my uh, cross-referencing, I've got Edwin Cardona at Boca and Rafael Santos Borre, just the two. Yep, that is just the yep. two. Um, I mean, there's, and- a, there's a handful of players that have been around the, the Libertadores and that have been around this uh tournament and this Colombia side Miguel Borja who you know could have been the Boca mm. signing of the dreams but not to be the case uh also Orsini instead Quintana as well Atletico Nacional's goalkeeper is in the squad at least but yeah no longer in the in the quarterfinals just two representatives in the mm. latter stages of the competition I'm not that excited by at- Colombia into in a Libertadores point of view <laughs> I, I, yeah. There is no way Rafael Santos Borre gets anywhere near the starting lineup of uh, two centre forward mm-hmm. spots with Muriel and Zapata. Absolutely no chance whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Both have bagged well, he was, yeah, he was, over 20 yeah. goals in Serie A this season. Both have been phenomenal. They, they're so talented and strong as players. And Rafael Santos Borre isn't that. He's not even the main man at River right now. So if you can't be that. Well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, like, he was on the bench the last two World Cup qualifiers, and as you say, the quality they've got, you don't expect to see him. Um, but I guess we'll, we'll we will keep an eye on him. Um, so yeah, just the two players from uh, from Colombia that are also competing in the the last sixteen of the Libertadores. Um, Venezuela also in Group B. Ollie, just Jefferson Savarino, I think, from Atlético Minero in there. Yeah. I've got 
Yeah, yeah, that's it. Five games, two goals in the group stages. He was very um, impressive, really, for a strong Atletico Mineiro side, uh, albeit they had, they had a pretty weak group, didn't they? And, of course, they'll play Boca in the last 16 of the Libertadores first legs on the 13th of July. Um, so, yeah, just a few days after the, the Copa America ends. Um, it's interesting when I was looking through that Venezuelan squad and I realised how many... Venezuelan players only are playing in the US of course like just geographically perhaps and just that connection um, loads playing for either Venezuelan clubs or, or, or um, MLS clubs well and this is the the thing you look at with South American teams have to compete now with Major League Soccer as a league that is starting mm-hmm. to take high quality South American players and bring them up and bring them through I mean uh, Ronnie Redes for instance from uh, Guarani has gone up to Minnesota, I think it is this year. There's been a few others as well that have, have made their way north up into uh, Major League Soccer. So, yeah, it's um, that that's again something. I'm looking through these squads, it's just a number of American flags lined up like next to these these players. It's like, oh, okay, that's where all the talent's going because there's just that mm. bit more money there, which is a shame. It is a real shame. Yeah, Jefferson Sotelo um, sat Equ- there in Toronto, yeah. wasting away. <laughs> I actually. When I was writing down the list, Ollie, I was like, yep, Jefferson Sotelo, that's a good one to keep an eye on. And then, like, you know, <laughs> the, the sorrow just hit me. Uh, hit me all Severino at least had a couple of actually very good games in the middle part of the group stage. Yeah. And he was a very promising 24-year-old for Atletico Mineiro. It, it's the competition that Definitely. he's got again, though, in, in the heart of the midfield and, uh, and playing in that Venezuelan side. And it's the thing that's going to hinder a lot of the players, I think, that we look at today. Hmm. Yeah. Um, also in Group B then are Ecuador. And this is where it comes a bit more alive in terms of volume of players that are involved because there's lots of, uh, yeah, I think they've got, ooh, just top of my head, maybe 10 players or something like that. Eight or 10 players uh, in that Ecuador squad that are also competing in the in the last 16 of the Libertadores. In terms of the players, Oli, that we should perhaps look out for uh, and, and we've mentioned before on the pod I mean in terms of the Barcelona boys I'm not going to talk too much about Mario Pineda because I've done loads on him before I don't think he's in line to, to start for Ecuador and Damian Diaz making an appearance as well he actually came off the bench against Peru in a recent World Cup qualifier so the two Barcelona boys are uh, are involved but we don't expect to see much of them one thing I'd say is they did lose the last two the, the, the two World Cup qualifiers that were played um, in the last sort of week or so. So I just wonder whether that, that might... Um, am I dreaming or does that mean Damien Diaz, the coach, might be like, oh, you know what? Fuck it. Put in Damien Diaz. Let's see, <laughs> let's see what happens. I'll be surprised if he gets any minutes, but I'd love to see it. Your, your Spanish is better than mine. What's the Spanish for run? Because I imagine we're going to hear that a lot. If Damien Diaz is on the field, you're going to hear from the dugout, run! <laughs> just run, mate! <laughs> in these empty stadiums. No, um... I mean, Damien Diaz is having a little bit of a, uh, a swan song, isn't he? In his, the latter part of his career, mm. 35 now, gets his two caps, gets to represent his country. Whether we'll actually see him in this competition, not too sure. I would love to see Pineda. And he's almost in double figures now for, for the national team. So it's not like he's that far off being the starting fullback. Uh, uh, Luis Fernando Leon as well, getting on in age, the Barcelona defender. And this has oh, yeah. been used recently. Uh, Probably not good enough to be a starter for the national team, but I think that's very sturdy depth. And I, I like the fact that Gustavo Alfaro is looking at, okay, who are the form players right now? Barcelona are quite clearly a form team. League winners last year, playing very well in the Libertadores. Let's bring some of that in because it, it can't do anything too detrimental to have players that are playing 
the, their best football of the season at the moment, just in and around the squad as great depth and backup just in case. So picking a lot of Barcelona players, I think is very smart. Uh, Alexander Dominguez, the Vélez Sarsfield keeper, will be between the posts. And Vélez have been a really good side attacking going forward. And he's probably had a fair bit to do in this Libertadores competition in terms of keeping it solid at the back because they are a bit gung-ho at times. So that's that's a starter, Windsor. That's a starter we're going to have, I think. Dominguez between the sticks. Yeah, and Robert Aboleda, the Sao Paulo centre-back, I know he started in those two World Cup qualifiers, which they did lose. But at least he started those two. So, you know, he's making a case that to potentially be involved in, in the starting 11 for the Copa America. Alan Franco, I know, player you've Love kept a Alan keen Franco. eye on over the years. Started against Brazil. So, you know, there's, there's a half-decent chance he's going to get good minutes. So, yeah, in terms of who didn't make it and who did make it also, Ollie, we get another chance to see Fidel Martinez, potentially. <laughs> Who's, who's in the squad, which is pretty pretty amazing. Did go to China, then went to Mexico, I think, after that currently. But mm. um, yeah, it'd be great to get another glance at Vidal Martinez. No Quinones at Barcelona. I was a little bit disappointed about that. But um, yeah, all in all, they're definitely one of the nations alongside Paraguay, really, where there's, there's, uh, there's enough Libertadores interest in that squad. Uh, and I genuinely think... I know I've been championing Ecuadorian football in the Libertadores for the last two years and saying how much I enjoy watching a lot of their sides play. But I genuinely think there is a lot of enjoyable football players that we've seen come out of South America in the last few years in this side. I mean, obviously we touched on Alan Franco was born out of the IDV success. Moises Caicedo is in this as well, born out of the IDV success. Uh, Angelo Preciado is a really good right back uh, who's now playing his football at Genkin in Belgium. And... That I do think Ecuadorian football is starting to build something special to be able to be the third team on that continent right now. The, there's a lot of good youngsters around about 23, 22, 24, that ballpark who have got enough experience now. Some of them have been given opportunities outside of South America to progress their game and have quite clearly taken it. And now they get a chance to perhaps start to be the the build for the national team on a potential rise to a, a semi, a silver age rather than a golden age, golden age shall we say, for Ecuadorian <laughs> football. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny because when I was looking at the Ecuador squad and because it feels like, even though it's just a, what, a couple of weeks ago, it feels like ages since the Libertadores was last playing. And I was like, who are Barcelona up against in the last 16? <laughs> and of course it's Velez. And then if they win that, it's the winner of Serra Porteño or Fluminense. So yeah, I mean, there's there's a... There's a half decent chance that they could uh, they could nip into the semi final, so it's gonna gonna be exciting. Uh, and then the final side in Group B is uh, Peru. Just Luis Abramavelles, I think. Mm-hmm. Ollie is all. That's the only one I picked up. He was fairly regular for Velas Arsfield in the in the group stages of the Libertadores. So yeah, might might be a half decent shout to get minutes. There's a there's a number of players that are ex Libertadores already or playing in the Sudamericana that. I haven't played for the national team yet or have only had a handful of games uh, literally the odd minute or two at the end of games in World Cup qualifiers recently and, and friendlies and the like in the last few international breaks. So for Peru, yeah, I mean, it's it's not the strongest representation for Libertadores sides in the round of 16 with Abram, who again, though, has made up a very solid defensive unit with uh, for Vélez Sarsfield this, this Libertadores and, and last year as well in the Sudamericana. But it's also a, a Peru side that is putting its hopes on a lot of local talent, shall we say, or at least giving them chances. You know, there's a handful of players from Sporting Cristal, Melgar, Universitario as well, yeah. bedded into the players coming back from 
major league soccer and uh, there's a few from saudi arabia as well and the like kind of coming back for this mm. tournament so i'm not strong high hopes for peru in general but hopefully mm. hopefully we can see abraham at least be a rock in the uh, in the back line for mm. them maybe group a then the the south zone um of the continent let's let's start with argentina then ollie i don't know it's just it's just a bit it's just a bit disappointing looking down an Argentine squad and not seeing at least a smattering of kind of River and Boca players. There are a couple of River players in there. Franco Armani, who, you know, he's River's goalkeeper. He's not going to start um, for Argentina. And uh, Gonzalo Montiel, who who probably will start at right back. He's got a half-decent chance of starting. He started in the 2-2 draw against uh, Colombia. Um, and so, yeah, those are, as far as I've got, Ali, just the two players, right, from Argentina that are also competing in the Libertadores last 16. Yeah, yeah, just those two. Just the two, yeah. Um, um, no, bo- no Boca players, mate. Yeah, it's weird, that. Very odd. odd. I kind of like it, though. I think that takes a bit more pressure off Argentina because it's a big tournament for them. Obviously, losing, hosting it. Mm. The the Maradona thing is hanging over this national team so much right now. You see the comments Messi made after the World Cup qualifier where he's like, Diego, it was weird him not being here and seeing us. And it's like... Sure. Like obviously, it's it's sad to have lost an icon like Diego Maradona. Mm. Clearly, but if this is a burden on their shoulders now going into this competition, there's there's almost an expect the narrative's already there for we won it for Diego. That those t-shirts have been made and they're sitting in a room in that hotel by Etsy Airport <laughs> waiting to be unboxed, or they're going to be put on a plane and sent off to a third world country somewhere to be mm. dished out to like kids that need need t-shirts and clothing and stuff like that sure. like they do with the super bowl t-shirts that don't get used but is there just a this is always a burden on argentina and the actual subject matter doesn't you know it's, it's a, it just gets moved around they'll always be it's that kind of country it's that kind of you know rich history and they, i don't know i don't know if they'll always just be that burden i think there's um, a weight anyway when you've got Lionel messi and you haven't been winning world cups and, and copper americas but I think sure. then you add Diego Maradona not being there for the first time, for the first major competition that they'll play in without Diego watching, or at least watching from inside the stadium. He'll be watching, I'm, I'm sure, from above. and <laughs> Watching behind me, Mr. Wilson. There's, there's no video on this episode. but That'd be the last person Diego I would Diego want Maradona. watching me sleep, is Diego Maradona looking <laughs> over me. That'd freak me out. <laughs> really freak me out that's that's been a naughty few days if that's taking place i tell you um but i i think it, i think it does add though an additional burden to what as you quite rightly say is already an argentinian national team that is burdened with expectation at every tournament they go into for the last 15 years mm. you would argue so there'll be an expectation to win i think not having the tournament at least in argentina now is probably actually better for the national team but not having boca players yeah, it's it's sad, but at least we've got the best, arguably the best right back in South American football in Montiel. I've struggled to see how he's going to be at River Plate for much longer. Someone this summer, isn't it? Has to pick him up. Yeah, surely. So good. Do you think? Um, listen, obviously Messi wants to play for his country, Oli. And this isn't about Messi. This is just generally the players based, kind of in Europe. Do you think honestly, deep down? They all want to represent their country. I understand that. But they are also human beings. And do you think they just see this as a bit of a slog? As I said, there's going to be so many, you know, of course there has to be. And it's the same for wider society and everyone. But there'll be protocols. And 
you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough month for them. And do you think a lot of them thought, oh, I, I can't be bothered with this? It's not. You know, that's just human. That's just human instinct, right? Imagine you've worked. It, you know, it's yeah. It might be a bit of a slog. You're removing There's yourself no from yeah. where you live and have been living for the last, you know, twelve months almost solidly with everything else that goes on. And then you're having to do this on the other side of the globe, albeit where your home is. And I'm sure there are still like family members and people that are back in South America, which is great to be able to see them. But at the same time, it's it's not a it's not a family trip. It's a business trip. It's you're going to be under the strict confines of staying in the hotel, not going out, not seeing anybody, no one in or out because of the COVID tests that will be taking place. It's going to be really it's going to be really unpleasant. And there's not many times that I think, God, I'm glad I'm not a professional athlete. But this might be one of them. No. I I think that's really fair because it's not, as you say, like in previous Copa Americas, you probably think, oh, okay, you know, great to go back to my homeland and of course, like all the football element of it, but also catch up with, you know, my aunties and my cousins and all of this and get a chance to be in Rio, Buenos Aires or just on the continent generally and invite people along to the games. But there's none of those perks, is it? So, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's hard to get in the mind of the players, but I do I do have a little bit of sympathy there. Um, all right, elsewhere in Group A, a then, Oli. This will be a brief chat. Bolivia. <laughs> Else, also, well, they don't have this. So there's no Bolivian players that are playing in the last 16 of the Commonwealth Libertadores, unfortunately. Um, it's a shame, though, because if, if somebody had got <laughs> close, we could have had a lot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. You know, but if Bolivar had been able to make it through, if, if the, the strongest squad. had got through, you know, if Jorge Wilstermann had done better and got themselves into the Libertadores, and, you know. They could have been. We could have been talking a lot about Libertadores players in this Bolivian <laughs> side, but it could have been two hours. And it, the yeah. irony is, that it will probably be them and Venezuela that you look at straight off the bat in those two groups and go, eh, "Might be the fifth team in this uh, missing mm. out on the knockout stages." But I don't want to poo-poo Bolivian football too much because we do. We're not nasty, I think, to Bolivian football. I think we're just quite tell it like it is. It's very difficult to yeah. get a Cinderella story around Bolivian football when there isn't even a glass slipper to put on. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about Paraguay, Oli. Um, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, I think. Eight players uh, that are in the Paraguayan squads and also competing in the in the last 16 of the Commonwealth Libertadores. Most notably, I would say, in terms of players that have attracted the most interest and also are likely to start, Gustavo Gomez for Palmeiras at centre-back. Um, Robert Rojas as well looks as though he's going to start for Paraguay. Uh, Villasanti's kind of in and out the side, but but could potentially start the Serra Porteño man and Santiago Azamendia as well as uh, of Serra Porteño, who um, yeah, I think he started one of the the last two World Cup qualifiers. So at least there's kind of three or four players there, Oli, um, that could that could well get a lot of minutes. We were we were in love almost with um, Santiago Azamendia. As well, the the fullback mm. for Sara Porteño, who has dropped off in the Libertadores, barely kind of noticed him, really, in the last year and a half of the competition. But I still think, uh, you know, he was a name that when you were looking through the list, I jumped straight off the page to me. It's, oh, yeah, of course, Azamendia was like the mm. the Paraguayan Montiel. You know, that was the great thing when Sara met River. And it's like, you've got, actually got two <laughs> really impactful right backs taking on each other on opposite sides of the field. This could be very interesting. Um, yeah, you're right to point Oli, out. When, you, when you're next, 
when you're next out with your mates, I just want you to say, you know, he's, he's like the Paraguayan Gonzalo Montiel <laughs> and just look at the blank faces uh, at your next golf trip. <laughs> just say, tell you what, when you're watching the Euros, that right back, he's, you know. He, he is. He's the, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, when I'm picking up the Paraguayan papers, you know, his name gets mentioned a lot. That's the trouble. So. I think you're right to, to look at Gustavo Gomez. So, I mean, the captain of the national teams, without a doubt, he's going to be the anchor um, for that side, for, for a Palmeiras side that, for all we've loved and and eulogized about their incredible attacking prowess defensively they've still been very good and they've taken on good attacking sides in that group as well in that group of death so yeah Gustavo Gomez will, will certainly anchor it Junior Alonso as well uh the the 28 year old from Atletico yep. Mineiro that that it's a strong back line that you can make up of um of Libertadores players. You could have Robert Rojas, Sarza Mendia, Junior uh, Alonso and Gustavo Gomez as your back four and wouldn't actually look out of place and you wouldn't think, oh, why have they not gone with I don't know, Alberto Espinola or someone like that? You know, you would sure. think that is actually their probably their best starting four. Elsewhere, um, yeah, I don't know. There's not a lot to get too excited about. Gabriel Avalos of uh, yeah. Argentina's juniors just starting to make his way into the national team a bit late at 30 you imagine but might be an opportunity off the bench yeah it's it's difficult Pires de Motta as well the Flamengo player doesn't really get a look in yeah. in, that, in the Libertadores side Not too much often these days. was more of a was more of a character I think in their side and a depth player that was used more in the previous two incarnations of the tournament and he was used yeah, and he and he he was used as well, so we sort of seen him phased out a little bit. But uh, yeah, but I guess when when as I say that the nature of the groups is interesting because because of the fact that four of the five sides qualify, it does mean that towards the end of the group stages there are going to be, um, you know, the last two rounds of fixtures could see could see a fair few dead rubbers, mm. which a lot of people would say is boring, but for us, Ollie, that might be really interesting because it brings those Libertadores players on the fringes right into the to the starting lineup. You feel that squads will be rested and rotated, probably. Uh, Uruguay. Um, I've got three players, I think, in the Uruguayan squad that are also competing in the in the Libertadores. Matias Vigna, Palmeiras, uh, Jorgenda Erasqueta, of course, of Flamengo, and Nico de la Cruz of River. Um yeah, I mean, I saw Nico de la Cruz came off the bench in their last World Cup qualifier. They actually drew their last two World Cup qualifiers nil-nil. So they're, they're in need of goals. Um, listen, we've been fans of Nico de la Cruz since, um, you know, since we started covering the tournament. So it'd be great. It'd be great to see him do something on on this stage. Daraskeeta, we know all about his quality. I mean, he he's surely going to be be involved for Uruguay. I know they've got they've got quality as well in terms of players in 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 Europe but uh, but Daraskerta will be one to keep an eye on and then Matias Vigna could well start a left back so yeah I mean and what th- three what players an opportunity that, that... for I know he's not new to the Uruguayan national team setup but what a great opportunity to learn from some of the best defensive talent that South American football's had mm-hmm. to offer in the in an ageing back line for Uruguay in mm-hmm. some places you know Coates not Peter Sebastian obviously uh, Martin Caceres <laughs> And Diego Godin, all thirty plus. They're they're all very yeah. experienced, wily characters that Vigna is going to be playing around and then usurping at some point and starting to be part of his own back four for Uruguay in the in the national team going forward, you mm. feel. This could be a really big learning learning point for him on a big stage. 
and whether it, and hopefully he gets yeah. a lot of game time as well. Because I th- I'm again another player from Palmer. It's difficult not to coo a bit about anybody in the Palmer starting eleven, really. But yeah, except did, yeah. did it was it he that laid on the cross for the winner last year in the final? Was it Vina's ball? Because it was the right flank. No, no, it was Honey. It was okay. Yeah, yeah. And then Brett, yeah, I can't yeah, remember yeah. if it was Vina or Honey off the top of my head. But yeah, I was just yeah, I was um. I saw Sebastian Coata scored, in my opinion, the most underrated Premier League goal of all time. It's like a bicycle kick against Palace or something, and it's it's, it's absolutely awesome. Always quite liked him. I think he's playing in, in Portugal now, is he? Somewhere, Benfica or something sporting, like that. Sporting, yeah. But, um, sporting, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, but so elsewhere in Group A, and, and to wrap it up, really, is Chile. And they've got one, two, three, four. I've got five players, I think, in that crossover. Um, and some interesting ones as well. Um, Eduardo Vargas of Atletico Minero scored a couple of goals in the group stages was impressive Mauricio Isla of Flamengo who could well start a right back um, and then Clement Montes Mena, Ras- ah yes 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 well I mean he was great wasn't he this is the yeah. this is the one like for Chile this is the one that like I'm amazed he's in the squad but really delighted for a youngster that we haven't seen much of, but every time he stepped on the field, he has looked mightily impressive. And there was a there was a great picture of him uh, doing the rounds in some of the the websites of him just looking, you know, so happy to be representing his country. It was awesome. And again, you know, take a punt on one of these young players that is just keen and eager and, and quite clearly talented. He's 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 definitely worth playing in the same way that Catolica use him at the moment, which is bring him on in the dying embers, half an hour to go, 20 minutes to go, and let the boy run and see where he can go with it yeah. and add some energy into the attacking lineup. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a, it's a cool pick to try and watch out for. If you're getting niche mm. and you're sat around watching a Copper America game <laughs> and they bring up the subs bench... At two in the morning. Make a reference to whoever you're watching just with. Just say, oh, yeah, I really hope, uh, I really hope Montez gets a chance, actually. Uh, yeah, no, I've just heard he's, he's quite an exciting player to look out for and... Uh, yeah, he's a good youngster by all accounts. Yeah, I heard it on this great podcast, actually. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Um, all right. So who, of all the players then, with that Libertadores angle, who are you most, you might have just given it away just then, Ollie, but who are you most excited about? I'm going to say who are you most excited about and who, who do you think could have a big influence? I mean, Gabby Goal, just the fact that he's, just the fact that it's Brazil and the fact that he's a striker would suggest that at some point they're going to need someone to to come off the bench and do something. So Gabigol would be the kind of obvious answer. Uh, I don't know. Like, I'd love to see Dair Esqueta really, really produce for Uruguay in the way that we know he can mm. and has done for Flamengo. But uh, yeah, it might be someone that we haven't even thought of that's going to pop up and really make a name for themselves. I mean, I, I think Matias Vigna could potentially be that. And... Because Uruguay are still a very strong squad. And if you can be a part of a very strong squad and, yeah. and play a fair bit in what will usually be a very solid... I mean, Uruguay in f- international football, uh, for all the excitement of players like Cavani up front, it, it also has a reputation of being a ironclad back line and, and holding midfield positions. So if you can be part of that, there's a way for him to pop out a bit off the page as, oh, look, this Palmeiras player alongside the, the greats of Uruguayan football and he's holding his own as well which would be a nice touch I'd really like to see a huge breakout tournament for Nico de la Cruz or Montiel mm. those two 
because I think they deserve it more than anything else. I'd love Montiel to be like the starting right back for Argentina. It'd be fantastic. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it would see. be a hundred percent the end of his time in South America if that happened. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, he started one in the World Cup qualifier, starting the two-two draw against Colombia. So, yeah, who, who knows? We 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 could see. It. Who are you most disappointed um, outside of Ronnie? Obviously, who are you most disappointed to mate, not I'm, be seeing? Mate, how could you, how could you even get beyond that? I mean, like it's. I mean, those are you know, it's insane that he's not part of that squad. I feel sorry for him. I actually, I genuinely, gosh, there's a lot of sympathy coming out for professional footballers in, in this edition. Maybe gone the soft in the sunshine's summer. getting to me. Maybe, yeah, but I don't know. I just feel a bit sorry for him. Who am I? Who am I? I'm not sure to be honest. I think, yeah, Honey's. I just couldn't couldn't really look beyond that. What? Why have you got a name on the tip of your tongue? I was I was thinking of the Colombian squad, and I was thinking like Sebastian Vija, who is the the lone man at, at Boca Juniors, really, like with with Carlitos, obviously. But I just, yeah, I did think, yeah, that's a shame. I also, I, I don't know, I've got a real soft spot for like Walter Kahneman. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's a really yeah. good centre-back, absolutely solid as a sure. rock. And yeah, I don't know, is he going to be as, as good as the, the likes of players like Otamendi? I mean, probably not. Nah. But there's some weaker aspects in that Argentinian defence that they've picked. Walter Kahneman wouldn't be a bad replacement for some of them. But yeah, it's not going to happen. But I'd I'd love to see Gabriel Arias at Racing, who will be a sub keeper for Chile. But he was so great in the group stages. He was awesome. When like four games without conceding a goal at one point. So um, yeah, I mean, it's unlikely to happen. But I'd I'd love to see him get some minutes because he, he impressed so much. Um, yeah. So there it is, Mr. Wilson. I was just going to say something about I was going to branch out into Boca, but we'll leave the Boca chat. Otherwise, we're in danger of talking about Boca River. But yeah, Carlos Tevez leaving, and um, you know they they bought Orsini, I think. So. No, that's that well, we got cancelled, didn't it? Orsini. Did actually? I got a message yesterday from a Boca fan saying I think it was on the it was certainly on the edge, but the way he said it was like Orsini. He was super excited, but you know, well, I don't know. We'll we'll see. Uh, yeah, I definitely saw a message saying Orsini move has now been cancelled because uh, it's because obviously with Tevez gone Boca Juniors are said to have closed the deal for Lanus striker Nicholas Orsini the 26 year old will move in this window with Boca paying around 2 million for 50% Lanus president Nicholas Russo said the Orsini transfer to Boca is now off Lanus wanted Augustin Obando on loan as part of the deal when Boca said no, they wanted an additional two and a half thousand US dollars, which Boca haven't agreed to.